uh, here's my just why I'm thinking of it. It's basically, and everyone can think about how they approach this. But does the if GBTC is already buying more than the current supply is being produced, does like stock to flow that has to affect stock to flow? Like, don't you think so? Like, demand is outstripped supply already. Well, the problem I have with that whole GPTC analysis recently is like they act like the only thing for sale on the market is the recently mined coins. I mean, like GBTC might own none of the recently mined coins. All GBTC did was buy Bitcoin from somebody who wanted to sell it. Like it's uh, it's not a, it's not. I, I get what they're saying, but it's it's not like um, that they're buying a ton. It's it's a huge institutional flow, you know. Yeah, it, this, this is what yeah. I this is what I work in. So yeah. you know, we always assume the people making Bitcoin's price go up were us, the people holding Bitcoin. And now the entire supply is already being absorbed by this one entity creating more GBTC. So the rest of us, like anything, could pump the price really suddenly right now. In my opinion, I think we could see a massive short squeeze to like 50,000 really fast and it the the ex, the exchanges are not ready for it. If you yeah. there's like you know one of the there's all sorts of chaos going on right now and, but one of the in bitcoin one of the interesting things that's happened is people are actually pulling their coins off the exchange, right? Mm-hmm. And ima- if imagine if on one of these exchanges where you can use a multiplier, right? If we did have a sudden sh- uh short squeeze it went to fifty thousand. there's not enough bitcoin at bitmex and at some of these korean exchanges and at some of these chinese exchanges that are shady that are going to be able to pay out everybody if it went up really fast you know and hmm. I, I think that fact that the uh, people are starting to pull their their coins off in a real notable way that that movement is taking hold is going to be a real problem because they are doing fractional reserve stuff and that's being undermined by people pulling their exchange their coins off. Yeah. I mean, also, if it's Bitcoin point. alone that takes off, a lot of their books they're pretending like they can pay everybody because of the ratio of Bitcoin to altcoins is kind of stable. But if Bitcoin takes off independently on a short squeeze, then all their they can't liquidate their offs to pay off the people in Bitcoin if it mm. went too fast. That's the other thing that I think they're backing up which is very unwieldy. Okay. Daniel, do you have any ideas on that? Like, do you think that the exchanges could handle a major short squeeze where the, if Bitcoin went to 20K, 30K, 50K, like over the course of two weeks real fast, like are the exchanges going to handle it? I mean, the short answer is no. People, I mean, it's going to be, I think that shit show when Bitcoin moons or when Bitcoin dumps, you know, and just from how many different exchanges there are, you know, you have no idea where problems are going to pop up and there's no way to predict where they're going to pop up. So, you know, you just, you've got to prepare yourself before those situations happen because somebody in the market's going to get wrecked and it could be you if, if you're, you know, if you're holding coins on a custodial exchange. Or if you just think that you've been playing, um, 
playing on these leverage exchanges and they were fair and that when you get your big payday, it might not pay out. That, that's more what I think is going to happen is that everybody's yeah. going to hit it all at once and there's no way they can pay everybody. It's like a casino where everybody in the casino could simultaneously win, you know? Well, that's a, yeah, I mean that, yeah, that's a big factor in the leverage sites that you've, you know, if you're trading leverage, you know, you need to be trading somewhere with a strong um, either insurance fund or insurance policy, but most likely insurance fund because the exact purpose of that fund is to cover the, the situation where the peer that you're trading with has gone bankrupt and they can't fulfill the trade. So the only way you're going to profit is to get a payout from the insurance fund. And I mean, a lot of the insurance funds have many, many thousands of Bitcoin. So it would have to be kind of an extreme situation, but you know, it, it has happened before where insurance funds have gone to zero and the, the exchange the winning traders, you know, it's, it's the, Daniel, you're kind of breaking where, up. Yeah, you're breaking up. Oh. A little bit, Daniel. Could you go back and explain what, cause I guess most people haven't thought of that possibility in my opinion, is the idea that you will be on the correct side of a trade and not actually be able to get your winnings, which does happen. Right. I mean, we're long on Bitcoin in a big way and you still don't get your, you know, your, you know, once in a lifetime. Data. So, I mean, there are some pros and cons to thinking about it the way the, the pro of, of being in a margin trade position is like, say we're going to go 20 X long. Uh, let's say that we're going to do a hundred thousand dollar trade. So you could put just, could just a hundred five percent oh these are the good, good details these are the telling you exactly how to trade and they're not coming through oh my goodness you just do this you just do and you just do <laughs> that's cutting out yeah we could hear you damn uh, well what was the last thing you heard you're talking about how to get all the 21 million bitcoin <laughs> So anyway, you know, if you're worried about an exchange from a custodial risk standpoint, you know, you could, um, you know, you could use more margin and keep more in cold storage off the exchange, even though you've got the money, you know, so you're not, you're not oh. really trading on leverage from the, the total that you would trade but you're just putting less on the exchange. So, I mean, if you're, if you're making a, a YOLO like hundred X bet and it hits, like it is a, it's not a, it's not a like 0% chance that, that you might not get paid. You know, it's some, it's some non-zero percent, but I don't know what that number is. Right, but I think it's I... more likely the more the more crowded the position is. If it gets to a very crowded long position, which feels like what we're in. I mean, how could it not be a crowded long position if all the new coins being if all the new coins being bought could be bought by GBTC straight from the miners? 
then the only if current holders are out selling instead of more buying, could the price not continue to go up? You know, it's actually what are the hodlers doing? Are they are they selling that much that the price can't rise when all the new coins are getting bought? I don't think so. I mean, I mean that's how I like to conceptualize the having is that there's some phantom person out there who's just made a deal with all the miners to buy 50% of what they get, you know, and only like there's some, some jackass out there is buying 50% of all the coins from the miners directly. And they just never give us the chance to buy them. And they've committed to do this forever. Here's the other aspect of the black swan event where we go to 50,000 really suddenly with a short squeeze that wrecks in exchange is because one of the videos I was watching today was talking about the like the lending rate at some of these leverage exchanges. I guess that you can lend your tether to them. And that the, the lending rate has gotten so extreme that you can earn like a percent a day lending out your tether. Oh, that that does not strike me as a legitimate opportunity. Yeah, that's something something's messed up with that. Mm. I think it was like they do it in eight hour loan increments and it was like more than 0.3%. I mean, anytime you see a rate that's like that, that's like a humongous red flag of a fractional reserve running because like, to have to incentivize people to hold their funds at a place at that high of a rate, like something is not right in the market. So is that a normal that's a, market though? Like, is that, an, is just in general having a lending rate standard practice? Uh, I mean, not, I mean, it depends on the market. I mean, yes, in, in some exchange markets, yes, that is, that is normal. But, um, but you've got to like, you've got to opt into that policy. You know, you've got to be making a decision to loan your funds. You know, it's not like when you deposit money in the bank, you know, everybody thinks their money is in the bank, but they're actually lending it out, you know, to all, all different types of people. But when you deposit money onto a Bitcoin exchange, you know, that that's not part of the agreement that you expect to, to be happening It's for them to be lending your coins or your cash to other people. Someone yeah, has money in a bank. But it's just, this, these are the shady things I'm seeing right now that makes me worried in a good way. You know, I, you know, I don't think any of that would be bad. If, if you had your money on exchange, you get wrecked. That's your own fault. But, um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's my, just, uh, that was my thought is that like, uh, I, if someone can't withdraw their money from the exchange, I, you know, I don't really feel that bad for them. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I mean, it's kind of healthy in a way. I mean, isn't that the whole point of the proof of keys thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm just saying that these things are going on at once, and I think it's about to kind of break through where just that, that, that number of the lending rate was particularly suspicious. The fact that GBTC is buying more than the current supply, that it just means that, you know, that's, they're pro that's not even hedge funds, really, you know? That's just, I doubt hedge funds are really getting GBTC. I bet they're getting the real stuff. So the, the so, amount of buying power going into Bitcoin right now is insane. And so it's not reflected that, in the price. When you say that they're buying more than is available, what do you mean by that? 
So if you think about how many Bitcoin will get mined in a given month, mm-hmm. and then how many, the amount of money that GB, Bitcoin that GBTC is buying as a company every month is larger than that amount. Okay. So there's you know, 27,000 <clears throat> Bitcoin that get mined every month now. And GBTC is buying like 45,000. <laughs> see, see, like the price is about to explode. This feels like but, the real bull run up to me. Yeah, um, but it isn't, is it your kind of uh, position dependent upon GBTC continuing to just, I mean, I'm a little worried, like what if GBTC just decides to stop buying? Um, I don't, I don't think, I think they're still just a fraction of the total buy. I think the fact that we know how much they're buying specifically okay. and the price isn't higher is suspicious, you know? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, okay. All right, I get, I get what you're saying now. So it's, it's like, just one I mean, window into how much actual money is coming purely into Bitcoin. And we just know that it's actually the balloon of water is getting filled faster that is coming out from this one source that nobody particularly even big in Bitcoin respects because like it's still kind of small potatoes um, compared to the rest of us in aggregate. So is there any way I, they could be lying about that? I mean, I know they, they reported these things on their, what are they called where you, where the hedge funds have to say what they're invested in? I know they reported them on that, but is there any way they could be lying about it? Um, I mean, probably not. I I think at this point they probably use third parties and stuff so that they're, you know, they've got liability for all those sort of things. One way that they could be lying, and this is, this is something that. Or just wrong. Maybe not lying, but maybe just like. Yeah, but it's like a, a, a a misrepresentation of the facts. You know, what they, what they might do is that, you know, they have, they have uh, like whenever you sell BTC, uh, GBTC, they might like sell that BTC in the market separately, you know, not recycle it back to other buyers. So like there might be inflows of Bitcoin and outflows and we're just seeing the inflows. I don't know if anybody's actually looked at the report, but maybe, maybe that's like, yeah, they have net in or they have, sorry, gross inflows of 45,000, but maybe they have gross outflows of, 50,000. So they're actually, you know, net down. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't looked at the report, but uh, it's, it's totally, I mean, it's, if the total amount of GBTC in circulation continues to go up, that's how we can tell what the total supply they should be holding. Um, oh, wait, are you talking about outflows of Bitcoin? I think Daniel was talking about like, are they liquidating, taking GBDC off the market as people sell and also uh, selling the underlying Bitcoin or are they just right. more GBTC continue to be added to the market? I, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I think just more GBTC continues to be added. Right. Uh, I think that's the way it is as well, but I, don't, I, I, have, I haven't looked at the report though, can't say. That would kind of suck if the market for GBTC started affecting the market for the Bitcoin price, like in the opposite direction. Here's a way to think about GBTC um, in a not so negative light. Like, you know, in, in like third world countries, you'll see people riding these kind of messed up cars that they somehow rickety, 
tightly like got together and you'll have like 20 people all hanging onto the side of it. That's the, that's the retail investor who is really scared of Bitcoin, but still wants to get on board. And they've got onto this rickety odd asset that is somehow has Bitcoin underlying it. And they're like, I'm too scared to buy Bitcoin. I'll buy this thing and just hope it works out. And those people, those people, that scared retail investor who won't even hold their own Bitcoin is now buying up the more than the entire supply of Bitcoin being produced. That one type of U.S. investor with that mindset of I can't hold my own keys, which I think is a minority of investors. Hmm. Like, I think, I think the demand is, is, is huge right now. I don't know... I don't want to get, I don't know what sort of price manipulation could possibly be happening, but um, that GBTC thing, it's, it's just hard to wrap your head around that and not just be extraordinarily bullish. I mean, if, if, um, if the price doesn't pump 10x in the next six months, I'm going to be pissed. I mean, they'll, they'll be exposed <laughs> as, a, as a scam at that point. It would be like a Mt. Gox situation. Yeah. If, if there's an investor that's, that really thinks he bought 21 million Bitcoin, he's going to be in for a rude awakening when he's trying to withdraw <laughs> all 21 million. Like, that's just not, that's horrible if they're really going going with that practice. Or it doesn't have to be 21 million. It's just like a, you know, an insane amount of Bitcoin. And um, they don't have it. They're in big trouble. And just them being in trouble just alerts everyone else on, on in terms of the scarcity and how real the scarcity is with this thing. And that well, oh, that's a bullish move right there. But what if the CEO of the exchange goes to India and gets this really terrible stomach virus and passes away? <laughs> then um, then it's okay, right? It's an act of God. No one can no one can foresee that it's all forgivable. <laughs> you know, the keys are lost. <laughs> That is that like a reference I don't know about or something? Oh, the the, the Quadriga <laughs> exchange. It was like maybe a year ago or six months ago. Yeah, Canadian exchange. No, nah, I forgot about it, but yeah, that's what Canadian, happened. Yeah, it's Canadian oh, exchange. The guy uh, he went to India. Maybe he was Indian. I don't know. And then he supposedly died over there from some weird disease. <laughs> and all his keys died with them and stuff yeah. too. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. It's so sketchy though, man. Like, so he dies, his wife, you know, they don't do an autopsy or anything. His wife like takes his body back to the hotel with her. And then I don't know all the details, but it was a lot of sketchy stuff to where like, this guy's not dead. He just exit scammed. And the, um, obviously his addresses have, has the money been moved from those wallets basically? I haven't followed I up. Know. I haven't followed up. I'm, uh, he's yeah, probably just idea. yeah. He's probably just waiting it out a little bit. But yeah, I'm 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 very sure that there are people who are monitoring those addresses nonstop for any yeah. movements. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, if it does move, they'll they'll let us know right away. But yeah, that's interesting. Have a I fake kinda, death. I I kind of want to get back to this conversation about. Um, exploratory and contentment and Bitcoiners being upset about not having this 10x increase. The way I thought you were going with that, Daniel, was that Bitcoiners might become 
complacent when Bitcoin just becomes ordinary, when it's not kind of like new and exciting and not like this intellectual brain busting thing that it is, um, that that's when Bitcoiners will just lose interest in it and want to move on to something else that's exciting. But I also get that there's probably a lot of people that are just in this for the 10x and yeah. those people probably are going to be disappointed, but I don't, I, I don't, I'm not worried about those people to be honest. Like it, the, it's the OGs that I'm worried about, you know, the people that are in it for kind of the revolution kind of for the, you know, moving the world to a better place kind of stuff. I'm worried that those people might lose interest, not because of the 10 X, but just because it's just not interesting anymore. Mm-hmm. I think they'll only lose interest if, the movement stops being about anything. It starts just being like, oh, I invested in Amazon, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, I invested yeah. in Tesla early. That's the, that's the biggest danger to the movement. Um, right. Is, is I think it's, it's, I mean, for me, it's just, it's a sign of kind of missing the boat to a certain extent. Like, I mean, you guys know I'm like as, as, as bullish as anybody over the next couple of years. But like I, I was just texting with another friend a few days ago, and I was, you know, we're just talking casually about Bitcoin stuff. And I said, you know, yeah, you know, I think it'll be a good couple of years coming up, but we'll see. And his response to me is like, "Couple of years, haha." <laughs> like, and like I know this guy you know, has some Bitcoin. It's like, what do you mean a couple of years? Like, a couple of years is not long. But he, you know, like, and if you're only looking at this from the perspective of a trade opportunity of less than a couple of years, it's like, I just don't get that. Yeah. I I think Bitcoin is like, in a way, it's the only way to teach um, investing to people with ADD because for some (laughs) people with ADD, the idea that they can wait four years and get some sort of lottery ticket is like, I can do that. Even though normally I can't handle the idea of just watching like my regular stock go up 7% a year, they can't handle that. But they're like, there's something about the like, the, inter- the highly, the hyper entertained culture that we're in where we would be entertained at all times that we can still handle that, but most people can't, you know. Wait, wait, can't, you're, you're saying that um, Bitcoin is a good investment for the ADD population? Because yeah. they can wait four years or because it, they can't? I think ADD people have that odd skill where they can put off. They do kind of understand that putting off thing. It's a weird combination. Or there, some people have that. Huh, you okay. know? They understand delayed gratification, even though they also have like, because it's something about just like, okay, I just said it and never think about it again for years. I can do that, you know? Oh, but I they, see. But the idea that you said it, come back in t- five years and it's up 20%, is like, no way. I cannot yeah. put $500 into that. That's absurd. Yeah. I don't need that $500 right now. <laughs> I have, like, some friends that have recently gotten into it. Like, I've been talking to them for, you know, a year or more, but only in the past few months have they actually got some skin in the game, and they check that every day. They're just getting the... I don't know. 
I feel like no matter what, whenever someone jumps in, they start checking out price every day. <laughs> they jump in too big, and then they have no idea how volatile Bitcoin is. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You're like, no just today. Is. Shit. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people got smacked today. It's uh, like a $1,000 drop you know, in 24 hours. I had a friend uh, texting me today about whether it was price manipulation or whatever, and I didn't really know how to respond because, you know, first of all, it's just massive buys and massive sells. That's not manipulation. That's just like what a real market is. And we're finding out what a real market is. Mm -hmm. Then there's the kind of like manipulation where someone has some options contract, you know, they've got, you know, they went long or they went short and they're, they're trying to like force some liquidation. So they do these massive buys and sells to force that. And I mean, then there's like the third level of manipulation, whereas like people are pretending to have Bitcoin that they don't have, you know, and that that level of manipulation, I think, is decreased because people can withdraw their own coins. Like, that's why it's different than the gold market. But like the first and second level of manipulation, I just think that's just part of a healthy market. Like, well, not healthy, but I don't think you can ever get rid of that low level type of manipulation. Yeah, you, you just kind of have to outscale it where it doesn't work. Right. At some point, you have it. At this point, I think we have Bitcoin is once we get rid of the 100x exchanges, that, that's the only thing that's allowing manipulation at this point. And mm. um, I, I don't know how much longer those can really survive. You don't mean like get rid of them. You just mean like they just go out of business or something, right? Yeah. Okay. I can tell you they are not going out of business. <laughs> They're the only thing that's in business. <laughs> what, what, where are these domiciles? You make so where much the, money. Where are the 100x one domiciled right now? Like, which, where are these located? Like, any chances the countries get angry at them? Uh, it's like BVI, Cayman. Uh, Malta, Singapore, Hong Kong. Yeah, so we almost maybe need one of these. Maybe Hong down. Kong. I think a lot of people left Hong Kong. Yeah. We kind of need one of these to go down just to prove to everybody that they're they're kind of playing with fake fake money. I don't know. Yeah, could happen. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't care if they do. I mean, I just you lost I your think money the only on way exchange. It's gone. Yeah, I think the only way it does happen, though, is is a situation like you laid out, Wade, where it just like the market is so volatile that like any trade you do is going to get blown up and liquidated, you know, and it's just it's got to be like successive events of like you know, up 200 percent in a day and then down 60 percent and then up another 200 percent. And it's like. I don't know. It's, it would have to be just, and it very well could happen, you know, with, with how things go and the, the order books get thin after big price moves, like it could happen. It's, I mean, is this allowed in any other asset that's sort of extreme leveraging to a hundred X? It feels I like mean, I think just these, picking on us. Like some, the banks are just financing this one ridiculous trade against Bitcoin to allow one 100x manipulation. I think it's just 
the, I mean, this is how it works in Forex. Like, actually, you know, there's a bunch of Forex scams out there, but I actually think that's how it works in real Forex markets as well. It's just that Bitcoin, the currency, is way more volatile than normal currencies. And maybe that's, maybe that's the answer is that over time, Bitcoin just becomes less volatile because it's so much bigger. And it's maybe, maybe giving 100x, like, is not such a big deal because you can't push around a, an asset class. It's just 50 times bigger than it is now. Which is probably the answer, you know, it's, I mean, the market is just so small. When you say the Forex market, that whole thing is so shady. Like I, it does worry me. Like I, I do we really want to be a part of the Forex market or do we want to be our own currency that doesn't even touch, touch the crappy fiat, you know? I think it'll have to be both, man. Because you can't stop that from happening, but you can't operate independently of it. Um, I mean, isn't Bitcoin like inherently just what we're doing right now with Bitcoin when we trade? Isn't that just Forex at the end of the day? It's just Forex exchange. That's how I think about it, yeah. Foreign exchange to the, the digital world. The, the only place where uh, freedom is can happen anymore? Basically. The, I mean, when we look at... The internet. Yeah. Yeah, but we look... I mean, like, when we look at money, well, we look at how Bitcoin is volatile right now. Is it really Bitcoin is volatile or is it really the other asset that we're trading against that's volatile? Like, that's always been a question for me. Mm. Yeah, right? that's a good one. Yeah, I... I yeah, I think so too. There's no measuring stick. Yeah, because I, I just feel like people just put it all on Bitcoin. Oh, Bitcoin's just freaking volatile as shit. But like, it could be the dollar is like just really you're just exposing the volatility of the dollar. And well, here, here's what bothers me about the forex markets is I don't want currency speculators to affect the prices of goods at the end of the day. You know, I don't consider that a productive part of the economy and I don't know how that's being facilitated and I hope it eventually goes away. I mean, the hope is you eventually goes away just because you can't finance it. Um, but, but I yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't want them to be able to do it like they currently do like when the U S printed three trillion dollars did the dollar become worthless against any other currencies no it was fake they can just make more dollars and the ratio of dollars to other currencies doesn't change at all isn't that suspicious yeah. like do, you, do we should not trust the fiat currency markets at all and I yeah. think uh, we should we should we really want to be. I mean, we're talking about success. Like, I don't care about the price of Bitcoin as much as I care if, that we're in the direction towards maximalism, you know? And for me, the direction towards maximalism is adding users, adding increased usage among people who are, who are users, who are, that we use it more individually. Um, and then uh, eventually, I want everything to be priced in Bitcoin. You know, I, I, I think Bitcoin maximalism you're not a maximalist if you think that stocks are not going to be priced in Bitcoin. Like you want everything to get to that point because then you cleanse all pricing, which is really the issue with the current currency system. It's not, it's not just a couple of things. It's every price is wrong. We need to fully move into Bitcoin. Hmm. 
So as long as I continue to see people like coming into Bitcoin, if the price stays the same, that's fine. I would expect them to battle against the price. If I saw like if I saw our meetups going crazy and the price was at two thousand, I wouldn't care because I know that we were winning. The price was just being manipulated. You know what I mean? Mm. I just need evidence that we're winning over time. Interesting. I I, um, I agree that speculating on currencies like fiat currencies is probably unhealthy because that speculation can probably affect the monetary policy in a way. But speculating on Bitcoin price feels different in a way because um, that speculation on those prices doesn't have any chance at influencing the monetary policy of Bitcoin. So it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like speculating on an event that is not influenced by your speculation. And that somehow seems healthy, not bad, and maybe even good. Cause it's just kind of like, it's just kind of like a, a vote for that. You think that this thing is going to become great. You know, that seems, well, I worry like our, what is the difference between a leverage exchange and like paper Bitcoin or like paper gold. Cause we know the price of gold got destroyed by paper gold. And I worry these leverage exchanges are kind of a system for doing the same thing. That if you just allow people to, to simulate having more than they actually have and just the authorities, the exchanges, you know, say that's a okay. then it, it, we all get bamboos. Yeah, I, I don't agree with it either. I mean, I wonder what the end game is. Is it like an exit scam or are they trying to pay people out in the other asset, let's say like US dollar or whatever it is? I mean, because it doesn't make sense to, you know, if you're leveraging, if you're, you know, allowing leverage trading on your, your platform and you don't have enough of the actual asset, like Bitcoin is very finite. You don't have enough of the actual asset. You're in for a world of hurt when you actually have to pay up. So, I mean, I, I don't know if they, they maybe have to, they have to outline that in their terms of agreements or that's to be specifically like yeah. you have to warn like investors what could, what could possibly happen. But I mean, yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. So to use, to use the old example of Poloniex, you know, Poloniex ran a process where they had a peer to peer lending pool on their site to where if you just held Bitcoin on their site, you know, you could, or held dollars, you know, you could put those Bitcoin or dollars up to be lent to other Poloniex users that they could then use to short or long on margin, you know, and they, they were, you know, they were actually borrowing the coins that were in your account, you know, putting them in their account and then doing the trade and then paying you back with some interest. And, you know, that's one way of doing it. And you can say that, you know, that's, but like there's at least an attempt to use a one-to-one, like any margin trade that's happening is, is backed by another user's assets, you know, so you're not, and you're not really inflating the total number of assets. You're just, yeah, you're just borrowing okay. from somebody to do it, but there's a different way of doing it to where you there's not an actual borrow happening, you know, it's, um, it's just, you know, basically printing some, some Bitcoins that only exist on the exchange and that are not actually an asset of anyone else. They're only a liability to the person borrowing them. 
and then, you know, that's, that's a much more dangerous proposition. Um, but then it also gets, it gets, uh, kind of muddied up when you talk about like those two examples are just spot Bitcoin, but then with the, the, the futures situations, like when you, with a futures contract, it's it's not really appropriate to call it that you're shorting a you're you're selling a futures contract. So you know you're you're saying I will sell you. You're committing to sell Bitcoin to someone at a price at a certain time in the future. You're not really shorting the underlying asset. So in in a futures context, there is no Bitcoin involved. It's like you're promising to sell at a future time, and the you know a buyer would be promising to buy at a certain point. So it, it gets more complicated the, the further down you go, but you know, some ways of doing it really don't bother me, but some do. Hmm. Here's a thought as far as how this problem could just be solved naturally. Like, is margin is 100x margin trading feasible once you move to a decentralized exchange? Because at, at that point, I think it falls apart because the the price to loan someone a hundred X their position would just be too much once everyone is actually, you know, holding on to their keys the whole time, but also participating in a decentralized exchange. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it has to do with what, what happens when you, when things go wrong, you know, can you force someone to sell their position if, if it goes against them? And if you can in a decentralized way, then yeah, you could, you could do that, but it's way harder because, if you actually, the, the term that they use in the U.S. is if you actually deliver the coins, you know, then the person can, you know, go off and do whatever they want to. They could buy big screen TVs with the, the coins you lent to them, or they could actually do a trade or, you know, things like that. So, yes, if you're, if, you're, if you're actually delivering the coins to somebody, it becomes way more difficult. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, so think I think, how, think, it de- I think decentralized, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, like, I think, like, how um, BitMEX does it is, like, you could you could ask for 100x leverage, but it doesn't mean you're going to be guaranteed 100x leverage. Like, they still have to make sure it's available oh, really? for you, right? Um, so, I, I do know that, you know, when you do trade for, on, on, on let's say, BitMEX, um, once you apply, you could, you could try this out on the testnet. You can... Um, apply for 100x le- uh, leverage, but there is a period where they have to make sure that they can actually fulfill, the, there's a fulfillment period where they have to make sure that you can be fulfilled on your 100x. Um, I just hope, that you'd have to trust them, I'll just hope that they're doing the right calculations and looking at their pools, because they do pay people who lend on the platform, or who, um, I guess they, it's not like a lending situation, it's just like if you use the platform and you're, I guess on the winning side or something like that, you gain some form of interest. So they have to be getting a pool that way or they have their own reserve or something like that. I just hope that whatever they're doing, they're actually, they're actually checking what's available and they're, they're being realistic and they're honoring that 100 X with real money, you know, and not just bullshitting us. But yeah, there is, there is a process in place from what I understand, at least with BitMEX. What, who gets the, um, if two people have a claim on the same Bitcoin, who who gets it in that case? Like if if a margin position doesn't get um, closed correctly, does the person lending Bitcoin could they lose their Bitcoin, or would only the traders actually 
be eligible to lose Bitcoin, the people loaning it will always get their back unless they exchange completely like exit scams. That's a good question. I, mean, I know the, I know the trader loses their shit for sure. <laughs> the one that's lending, I'm not sure. Unless, yeah, I'm not sure. I assume the tra- the lender would lose it too. Is that, I mean, I'm sure different exchanges do whatever the hell they want when it comes to that. You know, I mean, it's not like there's some overarching authority that has a rule about something like that. I mean, I, it seems to me like once you give your money to an exchange, it's the wild fucking West. Yeah. I mean, if that money comes back, great. But like, I mean, like, here's a simple question. Like if I send my money, my Bitcoin to an exchange, I just assume that they have become the legal owner of that Bitcoin. God. Is, wow. I mean, is, is that right? You're, you're right. I, I just don't think about it like that, but I should. But yeah. I mean, like, my, my only chance at getting Bitcoin back from an exchange, to me, seems like if that exchange is interest, interested in being a reputable business. Yeah. Like, if they're not interested in being a reputable business, then I just lost my bet. You know, I'm, I'm betting on them being interested in being reputable. If they're not, then it's their Bitcoin. It's a good way I mean, to put it. Yep. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. we have two legal people on here. I mean, isn't that the case? If I send my money to an exchange, I'm no longer the legal owner of that, am I? The Bitcoin? I want to say you're technically <laughs> no, no response uh, from the lawyers. <laughs> so I was trying to I was trying to hit the space bar to talk, but I hadn't had the screen. Uh, okay, and so I'm like, That's damn it! Great. I'm looking like I'm looking like I don't know. It, so what you're creating is a bailment issue, a bailment relationship. Typically, um, the the exchanges I've looked into. Um, you are tendering the coins to them and they do receive them and they are the custodians of those coins. It is truly the very same thing as parking your car on a parking deck, except you're Ooh. handing them the car and the car title at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That's when a, yeah. You come back. You're trusting that the car is going to be there, that they haven't had the car stolen and no one's run off on it. Um, Bro, that's such an awesome analogy. Why all these exchanges, (laughs) which if you ever look at your parking tickets, uh, if you ever go into like a city of Raleigh parking deck, it's like not responsibility, not not responsible for for theft or damage, right? It's it's the same disclaimers that exist on these exchange agreements and the T's and C's. They're not going to ultimately be responsible if they get hacked or your coins get stolen or some kind of custodial error happens so long as it's not from their negligence. Hmm. So um, they they do have the coin and it is theirs, but only insofar as you've granted that to them contractually. Words of the devil, as uh, as I've been one to hear. <laughs> wow. And, and wait, I hope you know I'm saying that with a smile on my face because I kind of, the more I think about it, the more I think that's kind of true, unfortunately. It is, you know, it's the... It's the nation of uh, of laws instead of a nation of men that's the problem. And it needs to transition to past that at some point. Well, now we're, uh, we went from a system of men to a system of laws, and now we're just a system of uh, math, right? With Bitcoin. 
getting back to our last week's discussion, like, I don't know. Doesn't it seem like that a little bit? Like, you know, the, the great thing about America was supposedly like we got away from personalities and rulers and now we have this system of law, but now that doesn't really work anymore. And now we're in Bitcoin, the sense of ownership is changing to a system of math. Like if you have, oh, yeah. the, if yeah. you have the keys, you are the owner um, in this new sense of ownership, you yeah. know, it, I guess that's a different way of looking at it. Like, also, if you know math, you could predict pandemics and how serious they'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. There, there are some ways in which math maps onto reality. Um, exactly. And those ways are computers. <laughs> so you're saying that our values are, they're not static. They're not static. Our values. <laughs> Math does not map on to biology and organisms and bacteria in any clean kind of way. Like that at all. Funny. Like there, <laughs> there is no calculus that, you know, maps on to the way biology works. We're heading to the world of models yeah prediction models and yeah it's crazy but you know i agree i mean when it comes to ownership i mean math is pretty solid in that aspect i mean yeah obviously man and then the law piece the law just needed enforcement but now with math you have built-in enforcement with it at this point so can't go wrong with that yeah. This is a, a bit of a change of topic, but do you guys get bothered when the people just nonchalantly call out anarchists on the news as being people that throw bricks through windows as opposed to people that invest in Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Like, I think there was a, a recent Trump tweet where he just kind of threw in anarchists with terrorists and like, as just, you know, the, the, the worst people of the world. And it's it's weird. It was weird for me to realize that that term. I've been so learning more about anarchy, and I've I've realized that term is more about peace than it is about violence. It's it's a real political movement with like a real Wikipedia page that has nothing to do with throwing things through windows. <laughs> but but the only yeah. thing, arson. It's the, it's the same thing with they they did with socialism for forever and communism, but anarchy is like even less popular and yet it's actually not a problem it's actually very nice you know what you're trying to figure out how to just be non-violent and stuff if you break down those words like socialism communism i'm not gonna go to anarchy but socialism like it just naturally you if you didn't know what it really meant in today's like era like you would think it's a good thing communism like a commune, like something like a community, right? Like that's fucking awesome. I want communism, but like <laughs> the way we, that we use those terms, they're horrible things. Honestly, they don't, they still, the they don't work. <laughs> and anarchy, anarchy. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to understand anarchy. I don't know. If, I don't know the breakdowns of the words in anarchy, but it could be a positive thing. If I didn't know what anarchy is, I probably would have thought it was a positive thing. Except for key, the key part kind of throws it off, but. It's almost like they're just using good movements and just destroying the language behind. They're using basically English to destroy them. Well, and I, I, it's just nuts. 
it's hilarious because they've been angry at anarchists for forever. Like the, one of the things was like this American, like a U.S. history person was like writing a history of the founding fathers in like 1850. And he was complaining about Thomas Paine and be like, thank goodness no one listened to Thomas Paine after the American Revolution or else we would have had anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a, here's a good uh, breakdown of the word anarchy. It's, a, it's actually... Nice. Um, uh, Arcos means ruler and Anarchos is um, basically without ruler. Mm. That is scary, actually. Without a functioning anarchy, it sounds scary, but the idea mm. that you don't need a ruler should be like compelling to everybody. Yes. You know, yeah. that's, that's why it's bad that they've turned everyone against this idea. You know what's scarier than that? If I'm if I'm just going to be completely honest with you guys, and, and obviously we're not going to put this on the internet and and share it with everybody uh, in the whole wide world, but this this idea of personal sovereignty is a concept that I've just never thought about until maybe the last like five months. It's it's really? it's like it's these words that I've heard. They've just basically been words that that mm. they have been attributed no meaning. Uh, no value, and um, correspondingly, I've devoted zero attention to them. Um, even though you know, hold your own coin. All of those concepts just fit so squarely into what everyone's been talking about. It's like I've had this awakening to this concept, and um, I don't know. It's it's fucking wild um, that like I've come on this journey with you guys. So for what it's worth, I appreciate I, I do it. that. I do that shit all the time, man. Like, um, just one day something will click. And I'll be like, oh, crap. This is what people have been trying to tell me for, like, years. And it just finally clicked. Like, that was that way with, like, the non-aggression principle of, like, libertarianism. Right. Like, it just one day, it just clicked. And I was just like, oh, right. Like, that can be a foundation. You know, like, and I, to be honest, I'm kind of going through this thing with property rights right now and private property and, you know, just thinking of my own body as my own property and just like, whoa, wow. Like that is a total framing that works in a way. But yeah, personal sovereignty. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's crazy. I've, I've been, I've been thinking about it from the perspective. Like I, I run, I run my own business. I, I work. It feels like for other people. Um, all of the all of the employees at the office, it, it oftentimes feels that way, and um, it can it can. It's a weird thing to be able to just pause and say, "Look, I need to value my time above anyone else's." Um, you know, that's my scarcest resource, and um, I, I just think that we toss that so freely into stupid crap that is that has no return and no value. I don't know. Um, I'm looking forward to reporting back to you guys on how that journey progresses in the next <laughs> several months. I had a, a realization today. I was having a religious conversation with somebody about, you know how, how you can't take stuff with you, right? It is about contentment and stuff. When you, Wait, you talking about when you die? When you die, right? Yep. <laughs> but we were talking about in, his, in like this religious idea that you do take you, the things you did with you. You take your experiences with you, perhaps, mm. you know, that that's something that could continue to travel with you. That experience could like go with you to the next life or have affected like 
some sort of permanent solar stuff. I just, I'm just feeling wow. like dude. Dude, yeah. your your theory about you know it's better for you to to just die with your Bitcoin and not leave it to anybody. Mm. You know, what if you left all your Bitcoin to your <laughs> friends and family, and then you get to heaven and they're like, <laughs> oh cool, uh, it's like it's like th- three Bitcoin to get in. You're like, son of a. <laughs> <laughs> It turns out you get to heaven wow. and like things are they're like, Do you remember your private keys? I'm like, No, I, I wrote them down. There's like about a million Bitcoin up here. Satoshi died, he's got his Bitcoin. Like that's basically all the Bitcoin that's made it so far. <laughs> you oh you leave it to your kids and your will. And then you you have a race condition to try and sweep it back from your kids after you're dead. <laughs> yeah, Bitcoin, Bitcoin will even be scarce in the afterlife. <laughs> still, there will only be 21 million. They can't have everyone has a million Bitcoin in heaven. There'll still have to be a, a cap. <laughs> or else crazy. it won't have any value. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. This totally changes everything. I mean, this is yeah, that's the makings of a good new meme. <laughs> yeah, especially in people's attempts to make Bitcoin a religion, you know, like Church of Satoshi and stuff. This could be a whole other chapter. You need one Bitcoin life. to get into heaven burn <laughs> in hell. I mean, there's no other way to say it. it I hate to, I, you know, we don't make the rules. <laughs> in corpus Satoshi? Yeah. I the think old it's a very old idea that the you know you would put the coins on the corpses' eyes when you buried them, so they could pay. Um, oh man! Pay the, <laughs> it's like the pay fairy the guy to cross the to river Hades. Yeah, yeah. So perhaps oh, this is the only shit. way to actually get our coins across. You know. No, I think I think you have to memorize the words because memorization goes into the soul whereas like the eyes are still physical <laughs> and it's like it's like oh i wrote my words down it's just like no they have to be memorized because that is the soul that's how you get it yeah that's imagine true. if imagine if hail mary was like just a uh, a phrase like a, a past phrase like the entire <laughs> hail mary <laughs> You know, prayer. Oh, damn, dude. That'd be a good one. To, I gotta to change my passwords now, guys. <laughs> People are just going to heaven in, in communes because they knew the passphrase. So, like this communal multi sig. <laughs> I do know someone that used the Bible to encode their 24 words. Like, wow. Knew where their 24 words were based on like a page number of the Bible and, you know counting the words to get to that so that is a terrible idea for a yeah <laughs> I know. one it's the most published book but two what's the likelihood <laughs> you'll ever find that printed version again if your house burns down right. Bibles are notorious yeah. for reprint getting reprinted and re-edited that is a terrible terrible right idea. there's like a yeah. million different versions of the bible and <laughs> all the wording is slightly different that's that is true wow yeah, it's just the, it might it's make just you look good 24 times. The <laughs> and the afterlife application, you know, it might look good. Here's an interesting question. You know the um, the mnemonic word backups? Did anyone do that with any other languages? Or is it just an English language thing? Backups? Good question. I was actually looking at that last week. 
and there's Mandarin. other languages yes. yeah they have like chinese italian spanish japanese like there's a bunch of different bit 39 uh seed word derivations and, mm. and can you see them correlate to each other like our word for for like one for uh 956 is this and their word is this or how, how does that actually work probably not well it's probably just, just the, the most yeah they just words. Yeah, it's just like a list of 2,048 words, and it's just really common, you know, the words have certain characteristics, like, because, you know, all the, all the seed words are only actually composed of the first four letters of the word, Okay. so there are, there are some three-letter words on the list, like the word fix or dog or something, but, um, yeah, you only need the first four characters. So it's not really about the word. It's just that it's a popular word that's not easily mispronounced or mis mistyped. So there's no correlation between the languages. Do you know what they do for the three-letter words? Do they just fill the fourth letter with all zeros or something? Uh, yeah, I think for three-letter words, you just there are no other, like there are no other words that start like you wouldn't have the word fix f i x and like fixture like a light fixture, that would just be the only, you know, the one, two, three, that would be the only option for that one, two, three. Oh. I guess I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around how the protocol handles different languages that way. You well, know? okay, okay. Um, well, let's dig into this. Maybe no one knows, but I, I thought that, um, so, okay, obviously we're getting to ones and zeros here. So I, I feel like what you're saying, Daniel, is that the way the protocol works is that each letter stands for, you know, eight characters, eight ones and zeros. So F is like one, zero, zero, one, one, zero, or whatever. And then so the first four letters just map to this string of ones and zeros. That's just four times however many ones and zeros each letter is. Um, and if there's only three letters, then they just fill in some zeros for the rest. Is that, yeah, it just, right, right. It just stands like it would just be known in the protocol that this three letter word stands for, you know, you have a fill in for whatever the fourth one would have been. Oh, okay. Because, because that's the standard, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So does it translate, like if you have Chinese characters, does it just translate to English. No, it would just it would just translate to the ones and zeros and skip over English. So, so they have oh, a completely okay. different set of two thousand uh, two thousand words with three different characters starting each of those words. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I, I would guess that you know, I mean, the standard ASCII table that just maps letters to ones and zeros. I guess they're probably just using this. And I guess there's just a standard ASCII table for every different language, you know, that, you know, Spanish has a couple different characters than English. So they're going to have a different ASCII table than we do. I mean, even if you go to like Chinese characters, there's just going to be a standard way of mapping Chinese symbols to ones and zeros. So they're just going right. to use whatever that standard table is. But, but ultimately yeah. these are, I guess if you saw somebody's 24 word 
phrase in Chinese, could you could you actually get it? Like with your like figure mm -hmm. it out? You just have to get a Chinese. Yeah, I mean all you would need <clears throat> Yeah, just yeah, you would just download a Chinese keyboard and then somehow figure out <laughs> which symbol to type, yeah. Nice. But like any any wallet that supports Bit thirty nine seeds would would have those I, I posted the languages. So it is English, Chinese, Czech, French, Italian, Japanese, Korean, Spanish. Good for Czech. Right. I mean, like, that'd be a very small portion of the wallet that went from the human language, the natural language, to the ones and zeros. You know, that's like 5% of the wallet. You know, the, once it's with the ones and zeros, that's where, like, the real, the stuff starts taking place, you know. It's, just, it's like the UX, you know, of the, uh, of the wallet. But, um, did, did you guys see uh, JC's? Post about uh, his his poor man's multi-sig when it comes to the twenty-four words. What are you doing? Yeah, I did. I did see that, and I've I've seen several other instances of that. But it's a good topic for conversation. Yeah, I mean, you might add it to your document. Actually, I I thought it was it was good. So basically, you take um, two sets of twenty-four words, like you have two different wallets and say you have like a phone wallet and then you have like a laptop wallet and you've got 24 words for each wallet. So you just, you split those in half. And so you have 12 words each and then in three different locations, say like your house and your, your bank deposit box. And then like, you know, your one of your relatives houses, you put 12 words from, one wallet and 12 words from the other wallet so in order to get a complete set of 24 words from each wallet you have to have access to two different locations so i he, he called it like a poor man's multi-sig i kind of thought of it as like a um like a locational multi-sig like you have to have access to two of three locations um, I don't know if this increases your security. It, it might just make things riskier. You know, I'd, I've never been that fan of dividing up the two twenty-four words. Really? Yeah. I heard Andrei Semjanopoulos say it once, and I don't remember his explanation why. But hmm. oh, I think it's basically because it's the idea that once you get half the words, the other twelve are kind of guessable. No, I think that's that's with 12 word seeds. Like if you have six of 12 words, then the last six are kind of guessable. But I think to guess 12 words is I, beyond. Yeah, I remember this conversation coming up with JW Weatherman and Andreas, and they were using it in the context of a 24 word seed where you've split it into three sections of eight words each. And I think okay. that's what, Andreas was saying that it was, you know, having 16 of 24 is a pretty big head start, and you could probably work that out. By 12, yeah. about cool. Well, I mean, yeah, because there's a lot of uh, wallets that just use 12-word backups. Like, that's it. Like, they're, they don't do the 24 words. They just do the 12 words. Yeah, right. Which always makes me nervous still. Yeah. I never oh I never gosh, feel only twelve great about any sheet of paper that has my words on it. Like it makes me uncomfortable. 
You know, I, I've never actually done the entropy calculation for 24 words and 12 words. We should do that one time at a meetup. Um, Just 24, exactly. or I'm sorry, 2048 to the 24th. Is that it or is it, is it more complicated? I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I guess that it, I guess that is it. Is it, is it that simple? Yeah, I think it is. It's just 2048 to the 12 or 2048 to the 24. Um, but it's hard to compare that. You know, usually we compare things in terms of like two to the something or 10 to the something like in terms yeah. of, um, so we, can, can you just convert the 2048 into a two and move the rest so of the exponential? Like two to the 32 is like a billion, isn't it? Can you do that? So two, yeah, yeah. And then just add the exponents or multiply the exponents. Yeah. So what would that be? I don't know. I can't do that in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like doing that, I think like I always try to relate things to like how fast computers can guess. Because mm -hmm. none of this, none of these big numbers matter if you don't compare them to how fast your gigahertz processor runs, you know, like your processor runs at 10 to the eight operations per second. So if you don't, if you don't compare things to like, you know, guesses yeah. per second, then it doesn't, it, nothing really makes sense. 2048 is effectively two to the 10. So you've got two to the 10 to the 24. Okay. Okay. Two to the 10 to the 24? Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Or, or if you split it into two pieces, two to the 10 plus the 12. Is it easy to change that to what that's 10 to? <laughs> Can you do the log 10 of that number? <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. Okay. I admit defeat. <laughs> what is... Uh, Okay, what what did you say a billion was? Two to the what? I think it's thirty-two. Two yeah, to the oh, that 30. sounds like if you had twelve, you could get it. Two to the twenty-second. Yeah. Mate, thirty-two. That's it's probably bigger than a billion. Honestly, two to the thirty-two. That's like I think that's big. I think that's true. Yeah, that's that's like that's probably nowhere near close. Yeah. Anyway, I can't do that calculation in my head. Anyway, I thought it was cool, like uh, thinking of multisig, not just in terms of the math, but uh, in terms of kind of, you know, you have your legal, you have your legal frame of work. You know, maybe you have like your bank security deposit frame of work, and then you have your mathematical frame of work, and it's like, it, it's multisigging. Um, the different aspects of our lives, which we consider our security or our will or something like that. Oh, that's kind of cool. Jared, have you participated in any like legal multi-sigs with, with what you've done? I can neither confirm nor deny that since the North Carolina rules <laughs> of ethics have changed. Oh, that's, really? that's a shame. That's a shame. Wow. Oh, uh, hey, Jared, uh, yeah. can you, can you walk us through that? You, you remember you were going to go to that conference and do the thing where you hid something under a chair and then you like oh, yeah. goaded somebody into being a custodian. <laughs> Did you yeah. do that? 
Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, so Doug uh, Koenig in our office ended up doing the presentation because I couldn't make it. Uh, but he and I had basically and effectively worked on it. Um, we used uh, the, the um, Alan Pay for you know basically four sets of people can get on there and like on each page as they're paying attention, scan the the presentation. It was pretty well received by like the. 13 people that attended the boring Bitcoin talk because that there was sex quote unquote sexier topics than ours. Um, but, uh, which, which sucks <laughs> in a presentation when there was supposed to be like 600 people there, but they, they, the, what they did is they broke it apart into, um, you know, different sessions and that kind of took away the, the little bit of the excitement, but we got tons of great feedback, um, ended up handing a bunch of, uh, copies of the Bitcoin white paper out. Um, and uh you know outside of the the actual presentation but after we uh handed out the first couple and basically told them that they were in violation of the rules of ethics people had like like proper panic attacks about it they were they were genuinely freaked out about it um lawyers take stuff even if it's like in an academic setting incredibly literally and incredibly seriously um uh, at one point the the gentleman tried to give Doug back one of the uh one of the seed words and and Doug was like no 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 you can keep it he's like no man you gave it to me in trust i have to give it back to you it's like well i'm not taking it he's like well i'm going to have to sheet this to the state like the guy was like that adamant about making sure that that money got returned back and um like in the middle of the presentation people kind of wised up because you know as the presentation's happening they got they got a a sense of what we were were attempting to accomplish um you know, they, they smarted up to what the rules are, but practically speaking, um, it's effectively ruined any way to spend Bitcoin on real property in North Carolina. You can't use actual Bitcoin to buy real estate. It's impossible. Hmm. Yeah. Which sucks if you hold any, you know, sizable amounts of Bitcoin. Um, there's no way you can do it. So just a private person can't just say like, Hey, I just want to sell my land for Bitcoin. They can't just yeah. So so accept it. I, so you have a point. Let me let me be more particular with my words. Um, if there is a mortgage involved in the property, right? If okay. the seller has a mortgage, can't be done. Okay. Banks would not permit it, and a lawyer has to end up holding those. A lawyer in North Carolina has to hold the funds in trust, um, even if it's a like kind exchange. Something has to get held. Um, with a with a small cash you know deposit on a payment um, it's uh, it's ridiculous unfair and it doesn't make any sense there's going to be a ton of problems and we explained that it's it's our position that in North Carolina even participating in a multi-sig is a violation of the spirit of the law of wow. the of the administrative rule hmm. um, it's te- it's terrifying because you know what if you had done that previously um, and their and their rationale for it is basically, you know, it's scary, it's dangerous, and uh, you know, lawyers uh, don't need to be held liable for something that isn't um, well developed technology. That's basically the sentiment. Hmm. It's terrifying. You should read the opinion. It's it's nuts. Do you get the sense that North Carolina is um, different than other states? We're the tip of the goddamn spear, man. Really? Like we're uh, we're a bunch of fucking backwood dumb fucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sure to take that part out of this. Uh, no, we do things in a really um, quote unquote progressive way, but we're never progressive. We're a bunch of bunch of followers. Um, really? Oh yeah, yeah. North Carolina has never been the first to do anything. Um, I, I think we're just following suit and waiting to see other jurisdictions like California, New York. 
um, Wyoming, for, interestingly enough, seems to be like the bastion for this, this kind of technology. We're waiting to see what they do. And um, also for the American Bar Association to de- kind of define what's appropriate, and what's not appropriate. But more importantly, I think they're waiting for some big law firms to get involved and waiting for the big law firms to tell them what to do and the insurance companies. Is it, isn't Wyoming, would you, wouldn't you expect them to go down the pro-Bitcoin route for trading Bitcoin for real estate? Oh, sorry. If I, if I, that's what I was indicating, if I didn't make that clear. Oh, okay. I was saying California, New York, Wyoming, those kinds of states would lead the charge. Um, you'd need the American Bar Association, the big law firms to kind of break the ground to say it's okay to do it. But most importantly, you need the insurance companies to say, okay, we're ready to insure these assets because we know what it is. Yeah. Only then, after all the traditional finance gets in with the bar maker rule, uh, I think it's 2008 where the, the North Carolina State Bar started permitting, or 2008, 2010. I, um, I think it was right before I got licensed. Um, so I think it's 2008. Um, North Carolina permitted uh, lawyers to use the cloud. Mm. I mean, cloud movement kind of started happening, you know, before that. But. Um, you weren't permitted to use the cloud. I mean, faxes were debated for the longest time. Really? Oh, dude. Oh, it's nuts. Emails took, for, emails took twice as long as faxes did. Wow. Now, Jared, has this ever worked well, this cautiousness? And it's just happened to be in Bitcoin that it's overly cautious? Like, that's not particularly secure. Yeah, man, I'm I'm in a I'm in a real bad a bad way about opinions of what the <laughs> the government's doing these days. I don't have very many positive things to say about what anyone with any semblance of power is thinking or saying or doing, and that's no reflection on the the riots or the protests. That's just where things have been personally for me. Um, that's from you reading the sovereign individual. Uh, well, m- m- less sovereign individual and and more you know, free to choose by Milton Friedman and uh, road to serfdom by F.A. Hayek. So oh, really, yeah, like <laughs> this, it's, I, it's, I have it's, got, it's pretty, it's, it we've become very fascist very quickly. Like I, 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 the stuff I talked about a year ago happened, you know, we're all under a curfew. Yeah. You know? the, the, the parts that really bother me about practicing law and, and just the, 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 the legal business as a machine is that, someone can say something like, well, that's just what I believe. And it doesn't matter what evidence you have. That's what I'm, that's what I think. And that's all we're going to do. In the face of all the evidence, in the face of everything that is reasonable and practical stubbornness from one bureaucrat wins. Mm. And I, I genuinely in the last maybe week and a half have considered you know, living off the fat of the land with George and Lenny from Mice and Men. I mean, I, I <laughs> go and do something else. Um, we need to we need to build our commune somewhere. I think someone was saying communism yeah. was a good idea earlier on the call. <laughs> I don't know quite what the word means, but <laughs> I don't necessarily agree. But I, I I agree with the sentiment. Let me put it that way. Um, and I appreciate your your sentiment. But in the in the I grand scheme, we need to figure out. I I, I think uh, if we did communism. I might be okay if we split it with splitting it with this group evens. 
I don't know if I come out ahead or behind. <laughs> you know, I, I think Daniel had this thing figured out when he when he went to law school and he was like, you know what, screw, screw this. I, I I don't want to practice. You you had it dialed in, and uh, I think you uh, you got dealt the better hand on that man. It was rough, man. I was uh, I was trying to take some more some more business school classes once the law school classes came around. I think whatever route you take, you always, you know, think about the other route. Man, earlier today, I was thinking about how much software I wrote for my PhD that will absolutely be used by nothing, by nobody ever. And like, it's just like, wow, what if I wrote some software that was actually used by someone? How much happier would I be? I mean, I spent five years developing software that will be used by nobody ever. <laughs> But yeah, Don't whatever, route, up. whatever route. Is there any possible Bitcoin application for that software? I mean, I think about that all the time. I mean, it's it's mostly in terms of trading. It's just like correlation and causation. You know, it's just like that kind of stuff. But I don't know if I really want to get into that world of trading. You can't algorithm. think about it that way. You know, you got to think about like that path brought you to Bitcoin. You know? I know. Yeah. It's All like, of us have left our crappy law lives, exactly. crappy uh, working in uh, PhD lives into just enjoying the Bitcoin life, which is much better. Yeah. That is actually how I think about all of my education. It's so weird. It's like none of my education was in, you know, directed at Bitcoin or money or cryptography at all, but somehow it all led to that. Because it's, that is how I think about it. And yeah, it's weird. It's like yeah, I don't think people come, people don't come first to Bitcoin, you know? It's usually they've tried some other things, you know? Yeah. You know, the, the part that really bothers me is that, like, I bust my ass all day, every day to find the moments, to, to save up money, to find the moments to, to learn more about Bitcoin. And it just seems that I have my priorities absolutely backwards. Like I should be prioritizing knowing as much as I can about Bitcoin and worrying less about making money and running a business. Like it, it just, it just seems like I'm, I'm working towards something that is less than important and less than, than relevant when the thing that's relevant and important is the thing I should be devoting my time to. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's just the personal journey I'm on. I, I, I hate as long as you're stacking, man. Yeah, no, but that that's the thing though. Like, I don't want to just be stacking. I want to be stacking and in sats and I want to be understanding what the hell I'm stacking for and why and how it all works. Yeah, the, I want to be the, you know what you know what this relates to and, and this is maybe a poor analogy. You know, like if you ever grew up in the church, you, you know, you want to be the very best Christian you can be. And, and I don't mean that as anything negative. I mean, that is like, that's the genuine sentiments. When you are a true believer, you want to be the best that you can be. And you, you strive for that. Like, I want to be yeah. the best Bitcoiner I can be. And. Oh, that's great. That's a great thing to think about. What, what does the best Bitcoiner look like? Dude, I think he gives a shit to educate himself. I think he has to. And yeah. it's, and it's to understand. I mean, Bitcoin is such a diverse 
um, set of interests and, and incentive structures that you can study Bitcoin from a social perspective. You can study it from an economic perspective. You can study yeah. it from a math perspective. You can name uh, you can, We've talked about virology. You know, we talked, we talked about viruses in Bitcoin. There isn't an aspect of this that you can't better educate yourself in if you're into Bitcoin. Yeah. There, there is Bitcoin is literally the hobby for the every person. Yeah. And um, I think it really, really sucks that I don't get to spend more time in the day reading the books that I want to read about Bitcoin. Like I, I hate solving other people's problems um, when I really want to just answer my own questions about Bitcoin. Here's a question. Can you become the best Bitcoiner, this model Bitcoiner, this ideal Bitcoiner? Can you become that without becoming anti-state? Like, is that possible? I think so. I think yeah? so. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's so much to Bitcoin to study. You can study in parts where you never confront the state. You know, that's, that's one really? part of the Bitcoin aspects. I mean, but, but what about like this ownership thing? Like where it's like, uh, you know, in Bitcoin ownership is purely based on if you have the private key or not, whereas the state would try to say like ownership is more than that. Like our previous conversation about whether the exchange owns the Bitcoin or whether you do, you know, Bit- Bitcoin comes down very clearly on that. You know, it's like whoever owns the Bitcoin, whoever owns the private key owns the Bitcoin, whereas the state would give you some very complicated answer to but, it. But the state is such an abstract concept. It's hard to get people angry at an abstract concept that like they don't know where the state begins and where their post off, you know, the guy who delivers their mail begins. Yeah. I, I like, I mean, the path I'm on or where I'm at right now is that this whole libertarian anarchy thing, if it's just cast in terms of voluntarism, like just, you know, of course there's going to be government. It, it, it's not, the government isn't the problem. It's just a matter of whether it's voluntary or not. You know, like if you leave people to their own devices, they're going to chip in for stuff. Communities are going to organize themselves. Homeowners associations are going to arise. People are going to have a public park. Like people are going to chip in for projects and stuff like that. And eventually people are going to chip in for public defense and there's going to be a government. And so it's not like, it's not like government versus non-government. It's just, voluntary government versus involuntary government like that's i'm like i wish the debate was framed amongst that because as as soon as you say anarchy the first thing people imagine is just like that there isn't any government structure anywhere and there isn't any police when like all of that shit could be exactly the same it could just be that people voluntarily donated to it you know yeah, exactly. I think uh, for me, it's just kind of realizing that these institutions don't trump humanity and that if you just have a crowd of people who disagrees with what like a police officer is doing, that police officer's idea about what they should be doing does not trump the other people. They're all just human beings yeah. there, you know? The, 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 no, one has, no one has rights over anyone else. 
even in a policing sense. Like you just kind of have to do the right thing and you can't over police because people aren't going to cooperate with anything besides like robberies and like the, the most basic crimes across uh, societies, you know? Yeah. That, um, I had, I met up with a high school friend like a year ago and he still works for the federal government. And we got to this point in conversation where I, it made me realize how much I had changed because it, the disagreement we came to was where your rights arise from. And I was like, his position was, you know, you have rights because the government gives you rights. And I was like, no, you don't. You, you have rights because you're born with the rights. You know, the government, you don't have rights because the government gives them to you. And it clicked in me right there. I was like, wow, look how much I've like, I've changed, you know, like, when I was growing up, that was just how I thought that the government gives people rights. And that idea that you're naturally born with rights, not that the government gives them to you, is just this idea that just like slowly crept, you know, crept in my mind. And then one day it clicked and it was just freaking obvious. And it was just, but I don't know, it took someone from like a previous time in my life to show me how much I'd changed. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one thing I'd think about as well. It's just like, you, you can't blame people for, for having not thought about something. So right. in that person's like perspective, they might not have ever come across that concept or that that was how their parents taught them or something. And they'd never really questioned it. And I think that's really important to, to keep in mind with Bitcoin stuff, because, you know, when you, you know, you bring up Bitcoin to some high school friend and they're like, okay, like that's a scam. You know, <laughs> like that's pretty much how everybody sees it when you, when you first come across it. Mm -hmm. And just having, I think one of the most helpful things is just having an imagination to help people like think how things could be different or think, you know, basically I started to help them ask the question about, you know, why they think that way or how it could be different or mm -hmm. just like one, one good example with, you know, with where did the rights come from? It's like, I always think about things in terms of the desert Island test. Like if you find yourself on some desert Island with no inhabitants, no infrastructure, no nothing, like, do you still have rights? Like, sure. Like there's no government, but you still have rights. So how could they arise from government? Right. Yeah. Yeah. On that desert island, I have the right for someone to make me a hamburger, right? And to like give me health care, right? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Good luck with that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, whenever I find myself thinking that like I have to have something in my life or something is like indispensable, you know, it's like it inevitably does not pass the desert island test of like, okay, would you survive if you didn't have this? Okay, yeah, you'd survive. So it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. If you're stuck in a desert island for another, with just you and one other lone survivor, but your Bitcoin wallet survives, do you ever spend any Bitcoin, you know, to become king of the island? Or do you just keep hot? How many what? years does it take for you? You just The only out money on the island is your Bitcoin. And you're like, you know what? 
I don't want to climb the mountain to get a coconut today. How long do you start spending your Bitcoin? <laughs> I think about I think about a decade, and then I'm going to start kind of being, like, you know what? I might not get off this island. You're gonna start this start building a coconut radio broadcaster <laughs> transaction. <laughs> I mean, how would you receive if there's only a, only one other person on the island? How would they? I mean, do they accept Bitcoin? Oh, that's a good point. Imagine <laughs> they don't accept. Yeah, I mean, like for ten years, a, you try to get them to accept Bitcoin, and they refuse. <laughs> yeah, I think you'd run into that problem. Listen, <laughs> you keep wanting to use coconuts as a currency. I'm telling you, we should use Bitcoin. There's more coconuts every day. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> makes sense. I think coconuts People, works yeah. better as the currency on that island. To be honest. <laughs> no, man. Then you're going to start planting coconut trees everywhere and screw up the, the symbiosis. And oh, man, it's going to be terrible. But for the short term, um, I mean, I think I don't think Bitcoin works in the absence of computers. I mean, I, I, you might not need the Internet because we have like satellite and everything like that. But to me, the foundation of of bitcoin is computers like you don't have the cryptography well, you don't have like the random guessing you don't have the math like you you don't have anything I, at all i think it could work without computers if it was provable that there were no computers but in the absence of that happening which would never happen yes i agree with you yeah if if there were some kind of um way well, I mean, huh. if, if we knew what was the most advanced um, math calculating technology we had, like if we had some way of knowing what, what the fastest um, random guessing math calculation technology was, then we could have some sense of security. But if, if, we, just, if we didn't know, I don't know. No, this is this is a good question. If we if we just didn't know what the the latest technology was for computing, would Bitcoin still work? Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. I think it would. Well, I mean, are, would you have people? I mean, I don't think it would because let's say you were trying to so sign a message by doing the math by hand. Mm-hmm that math would have to be so simple in order to do it by hand. And if that math was so simple, I mean, to, to get it to where it was practical to sign a message by calculating by hand, you'd have to know that, the, you know, somewhere on the other side of the planet, that math wasn't simple enough that someone could reverse it, could reverse engineer it. I don't know. All right. These, these are kind of stupid questions. I think, I, think. No, I think there's an interesting topic in there and it, and it kind of relates okay. to the same, the, the, the essence of gold being in the ground, right? You know, everyone knows that gold's in the ground, but there are people that are better equipped and, and better skilled at being able to do the mining. And I think, you know, when it comes to signing a transaction, what would inevitably happen is there would become people that are, that specialize in, um, signing these, the, doing this, these, these transactions, doing the math. Yeah. I mean, I'm just pontificating, pulling that out of my ass, but that just strikes me as. 
You'd have so to you're verify. advocating for centralized nodes? How <laughs> no, dare I'm saying you? It's a, <laughs> guys, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've been reading this book about Bitcoin Cash. It's really good too. Guys, um, love it. As it occurs to me, if you ever, what, what do you take with you to Desert Island? You take your full node with you. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah. I just need to keep my eye on the network. <laughs> I was I just envisioned a by hand by regular mail version of Bitcoin where people just mailed around letters to people and each day you had to open up a letter and you had to verify all of the transactions that happened the last day by hand. <laughs> really shitty side chains. <laughs> What's the longest chain like, on that? Yeah. And then once a month, someone come up with a block and you had to verify all the transactions in the block. <laughs> we, should, we should ponder this one. Oh, I man. think you could. What is the block reward for here's a hand how, on transaction? How, let's think about how you would build a physical blockchain, right? Yeah. The reality is you, you need to actually build keys, right? And you have a key that can then lock would then be the next like step in the you know you could build an actual thing with locks i figure and actually try to construct the blockchain that way if you wanted to and if the actual key corresponded somehow with a the physical key could also like open a lock but as well could be turned into a digital key i think the yeah. physical I thing is, is hard because you don't have the decentralization like physical is by nature in one location whereas decentralization needs and, to be everywhere yeah and the bigger thing for me is just that you can't like if i had a transact like i make my own little key and i sign you know i prove that i can un unlock the transaction for myself i've got to send that to everybody else now everybody else has the actual private key as well there's no course there's no concept of verifying the transaction without seeing the private key yeah. like there is in Here, real bitcoin yeah Here's a visual for how it would work. Think about how grocery store, uh, how Aldi's handles grocery carts, where you need to click them in to pull the coin out. I've never been to Aldi's. <laughs> do, do you got okay. Yeah, I know what you mean. You got like to put your coin in to get a cart and then you get it back. <laughs> yes, but this is how you construct a physical blockchain is just how you need to push that cart in and then the next transaction could push in. You could build, this would be more for an art project, but like uh, how it would work. I don't know. Each transaction is a cart? I don't know. They just kind of lock into each other. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you would build, I think you would start out with a really big lock, right? <laughs> And then it would move, and then you could split into two smaller locks, and those two locks to split into other locks. And this is how it works. Like, can you fake anything? No. See how they're all locked together? You know? I'd be really that's worried. It's a, <laughs> a cart chain technology. <laughs> I would be really worried that someone would misunderstand Bitcoin because of this. This is, I'm gonna, I'll build my Iron Age. I'm going to build my Iron Age blockchain. Just with a bunch of uh, bike locks, and you guys will understand. Like, oh, this does work. This may, this is a physical blockchain. Now. <laughs> it has no, it has no practical value, but it's very heavy and made of iron. The only place you're gonna find that many locks is a BDSM store. So, I mean, it's gonna be expensive. <laughs>
I think, um, I mean, it sounds like I already have an audience inside the Bitcoin community that's interested in this project. <laughs> Getting locked, permanently locked up in the blockchain for their own amusement. Oh, <laughs> uh, dude, you could call it the B-lock-chain. Yes. Yeah, that's bad, that's bad. <laughs> B-lock-chain. Get back to that uh, the thing you said about proving that you have the key to something. I mean, that's this is this is the magic of cryptography, right? This is like the the asymmetry beautiful thing is that you can prove that you have the key to someone without showing them the key. That's just like there's nothing else in the world like that. Where yeah. I mean that's just that's just the magic of the whole thing. Well and that and that's the that's one of the things that bugs me about the secure hardware elements and like hard secure hardware modules and that kind of stuff is that like the cryptography is math. Like the security is inside the math, not inside like a a physical device. But yeah, that I I just, I kind of take the impression that like JC always gives, uh, gives Trezor a bunch of shit for, for not having a secure element yet. Although they are starting an open source one now, which, um, I don't think we ever talked about, but that's going to be a pretty cool project. Um, but I just, I just get the feeling like it's thinking that there can be a secure element without acknowledging the trade-offs of that is not realistic because there are going to be trade-offs whether you realize there are or not. And I think it's a more honest trade-off with pure open source stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, the, the security being in the math, not the hardware, that's, it's not totally that easy because if the hardware is actually storing the private key somewhere, then the security is in the hardware. Right. Yeah. Add an, right. I mean, add an electron, level yeah okay yeah i guess yeah i got no idea when it comes to that debate i haven't dug into it enough i just i just Uh want i just want my hardware wallet to have no communication with anything i just i don't want it to have a usb port i don't want it to have wi-fi i don't i just want it to have qr code that's yeah, it. I, I bought one of those Kobo vaults. And, oh, uh, yeah? Did you yeah, open it up? I haven't got it yet. I ordered the express shipping. And, you know, the funny thing about it is as I was paying for the express shipping, I was like, you know what? Wade would have a longer time preference than, than me on this. He wouldn't order for the express shipping. Um, no way, man. <laughs> yeah, Dang. but it was an extra 15 bucks to get it like a month sooner. I was like, ah, screw it. I'm looking for something to do. So uh, yeah, I'll let you guys know when it comes in. I think um, Guy is going to make a, um, a video on the one that he's received. So nice. I'll be interested to see that. Does your time preference need to last into the afterlife? It's a great question. Yes. That would have you have to affect your models that way, and also like how 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 good of an afterlife do you really want to have, and how good of a life life do you want to have? You have to balance those two questions. It's a life death balance. I mean, if you think there is an afterlife, then yeah, your time preference had better damn well take into account that afterlife. <laughs> damn, how long is the afterlife? Idiot. <laughs> but the afterlife infinity, is always—it always says it's eternal. So I mean, you can't plan for infinity. No one has 
yeah. time preference of infinity. <laughs> it's well, like, there is if Doctor Flow the way model. you live, if the way you live your current life affects where you go in the afterlife, then it makes a big difference. <laughs> well, I mean, how much um, money do I need to have planned for my afterlife retirement? I mean, that's just a really hard question. Oh, dude, you're covered, man. You okay, just got that. <laughs> get that one Bitcoin, you're covered. I mean, you got to think about, like, there's 6 billion people alive now, but how many people have already existed? How many people are up there, you know, before Bitcoin came out and just have nothing? Dude, you know? all, all your all your distant <laughs> relatives are going to be trying to mooch off of you so bad when you get to the afterlife. I would definitely they got not no Bitcoin. It. Yeah, I would keep it on the VL even in the afterlife, how much you brought with you, you know? Not, not be too like, open about that. Bitch, I've been spying on you as a ghost since you were a baby. I know you got some. <laughs> oh, this is great. I think maybe we're that's what this territory. whole territory. Maybe this whole that's what this whole Bitcoin, this whole 2020 craziness is about. The afterlife people are just pissed. They got no Bitcoin. They're trying to beef it up. Get yeah. some more people in the afterlife with some Bitcoin. Um, the, the 2020s have started out crazy. This is definitely Bitcoin's decade. Stuff is happening so fast. So, yeah. so extremely chaotic and unexpected. Bitcoin has to like explode. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's too just obvious. a matter of time, man. Yeah. It is, it is so obvious. It makes me nervous. It's so <laughs> obvious. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, just seeing the the you know the protesters and then the lockdown stuff and it's it's just like how is it not obvious already like how is it taking you guys so long to see the answer here yeah i don't know man the answer it really is crazy that this like it really could be the answer to maybe not a hundred percent, but like a lot of these issues, just fix the money, fix the world. Yeah. So many of the problems are man-made and you can't fix the man-made problems with a debased currency and Bitcoin's fixing that. It's making everything honest again. Yeah. Yep. Um, one, one Bitcoin thing that I put on the list uh, maybe last week or something, or maybe it was this week, but so, you know, I bought a, um, I bought a used ASIC, just a, an S9 just to play around with. Um, so I got one here at the house and I was just thinking, you know, from a, from the perspective of a node, there's a, there's two big, you know, life cycle events in a node's life. There's the initial block download and then there's the ongoing, you know, blockchain validation after that. And those two things are quite different. You know, the, the initial block download is just churning through blocks, you know, really as fast as possible and downloading them from a different bunch of different peers and, you know, running a bunch of calculations and stuff. And I don't know enough about the, the bottlenecks within nodes, but I know enough to know that, you know, certain types of hardware like Raspberry Pis and things have a hard time doing the, the actual calculation. That's why, they a bunch of the manufacturers just preload the nodes, you know, up to the last, you know, two weeks and then it can catch up from the last two weeks, but it can't catch up from 
the past 11 years. So it'd be interesting if there was some type of high powered, like node jump starter thing that you could like just plug in at your house for like an hour and it would like bulk download and do all the, the initial block down, initial block download stuff and like really ramp up your, your node timing. So are you saying some of these node devices don't, aren't actually able to validate the whole blockchain? They just kind of validate it past their center point once you get it? That's how Casa yeah, does it. Yeah, that's how Casa does it as the best probably example that I know of. And they, so they, they, you know, set up the node locally themselves and, and do the IBD phase and then they mail it to you and then, you know, the mailing and shipping takes a week or two or whatever so it, it ends up being a bit behind and it can catch up from, I mean, it could probably catch up from a year behind or two years behind, but it, like there are certain, it, it's, it's probably not going to catch up from the entire chain. Just from, I guess I'm just confused the, about how it's, so they can make it loaded at the manufacturer, but not, you can't do it at your own house. How that works. Yeah. Because they're probably just, they're probably just downloading the current, like a version that they know is correct. They just load that onto the, the drive, you know, the, the memory drive. And then they're not actually doing the validation on the device, but they're just, they're just loading a version that they know is correct without actually doing the validation on the device. How do we know the one on the device is not been tampered with? So well, they do give you the option to go you... back and download it yourself if you want to. Um, and if, if I'm honest with you, the first time I set up my Casa node, I did not. And then I went back and started thinking about it. And I was like, oh, screw it. You know, there's a fair amount of trust I'm putting into, into them. And I went and did it again. And it took damn near a month on, uh, on the Casa node that I have. Okay. Right. I mean, but the way that you know, it hasn't is, been tampered with. It's just too slow to be practical for, for a consumer. Right. Okay. And and over time, you know, depending on Moore's law and other stuff, like that month might become two months or it might become a week. So who knows? Okay. But the, the, I mean, the, you do, you do know that they haven't tampered with it because it will, you know, you can query the chain and, and see the UTXO set that you keep on the device and you can, you know, you're actively validating all the new blocks things so if they had tampered with anything it would be it would be evident you know because it wouldn't accept the blocks that the the broader network was producing mm. so that's not my concern my concern is just um removing that level of trust and just because I, I like it that people can download for themselves and see the actual blockchain being built on their computer that's a pretty cool process seeing it start at block you know zero one two three and then it just builds and builds and builds and then you're at the tip at block six hundred thirty thousand and it's pretty awesome to see that happen you know but it does take a long time on old currently hardware which is the kind of hardware that i want bitcoin to run on or to be able to run on so one thing that's relevant to your um idea there is that it's not just the internet connection speed that affects the block download time. I, you know, I haven't played around with this um, in a while, but a couple of years ago when I was 
doing this a lot, um, I noticed that up to a point it was the internet connection speed, but then after the internet connection speed got to like a reasonable amount, it depended upon the, um, how much memory I had and like mm-hmm. how much RAM I had and what my processor speed was because, yeah. because the bottleneck switches from your internet connection speed to your, your RAM and your processor speed like pretty quickly. And so right. you know, if, if your node was running on this crappy hardware thing, there's nothing that, that some boosting device could do to speed up the, the RAM you know, to increase the RAM or Well, but that's what I'm saying is the, the, the device, whatever the, you know, whatever the, the device would be like a RAM boost or a, you know, a hashing boost or a computation boost or whatever the actual bottleneck is, it would be the boost for that, you know, and but you that, just, you that have, would have to be inserted in on the motherboard of the device. You, you couldn't do like a USB like if you if you hook a, hook up something USB to your computer, then it's not RAM. It, it's it's not processor. It's something that has to be. I mean that that's that's the whole like the whole reason that storage memory is differentiated from RAM is because RAM is on the motherboard next to the processor, and storage memory has to be transferred on a bus, like a USB bus. So it it, it would have to be something that you're putting, you know, on the motherboard. So, you know, I'm looking at the, the S nine in the corner of the office here at home and, you know, that thing can do crazy. You know, it's, it can do that one thing very specifically, but so you're saying it's, it wouldn't be feasible to have some other, you know, type device that was really good to like help your crummy device do the IBD. Or it would just have to be a general purpose computer. Um, There's no way to just kind of plug in something and make it faster that way. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there is a way to do it, but it would be extremely complicated. I mean, if, you, if anything, you would just want to take out the hard drive, plug it into a faster thing to do most of the download for you, and then put, plug the hard drive back into the the other hard, hardware, right? Or the flash drive or whatever you were using as your storage. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so it, it's, it's not as easy as, okay, so like when a computer builds a database, um, it's using its database software which is how its processor knows how to organize the the information. You know, if, if you have one, if you have two different computers that use just slightly different compilers or database software or something else, one computer cannot read another computer's memory because it's more than just putting it in memory. You know, it's, um, it's got to be like something that that computer natively built itself, you know, unless, unless it should, unless there's just a exact match between these two computers operating systems. Um, I might not be saying that like perfectly, but I just, I don't know. I, I like your idea. I just think there's, 
but that's what that's what installing software actually is. It's customizing the software for your actual computer setup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can't just you can't just put one uh, the memory from one computer into the memory of another computer and expect that other computer to be able to read that memory. Yeah, the it, only it, thing that, that works for is like video files for some reason, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, if if it's, it's in so, it's in a standard format, then yeah. But like, okay. but it's really funny that that sentence you just said, like, you know, <laughs> like you can't expect to put the memory from one computer into the memory of another computer. And we've had, we have people today that are like with a straight face talking about uploading their consciousness to a computer. <laughs> like, yeah. we can't even get damn computers to talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny yeah i i feel like you know i I'm, i wasn't explaining what i meant exactly but it just there's definitely something about the computer having to build its own blockchain it can't just be given a blockchain it can't just be given the memory wow um, that's crazy man it's the same not way that simple. you can't just give people bitcoin yeah you can't even give a you can't even give bitcoin to a computer yeah <laughs> that's weird that it has, is, that's, yeah, it has to like validate the tree from it, but you know itself from the first transaction you know it has to like go through that process like the computer has to be able to to know that it went through the process of, of validating it's it got to validate it's got to validate the work itself the same way yeah. that humans do if i could ask a question about that yeah. i mean isn't there a distinction between the initial just downloading of the data and and actually validating the data you I mean i think that's what cuss is doing is that they're taking some files and then telling the processor to validate those files right um, so it's, I think the difference is the UTXO set. Like when you say the data, do you just mean like the current UTXO set of who owns what Bitcoin? Or yeah, when you up, say the up to data, a certain block. Um, yeah, so you could just give it the UTXO set and just say start from here. Yeah. But that, that computer cannot guarantee that that UTXO set has actually come from the Genesis block. <clears throat> like that if you want that computer to validate everything that came from the Genesis block, then it has to do all of those. It has to replay every transaction in Bitcoin history and validate that every single transaction actually came from the Genesis block. So I, I've uh, set up a new computer at the house here recently, and uh, I've just logged in from my phone to, um, to just look at the desktop of where this thing is in the process of downloading the, the blockchain. Um, Oh, damn it. My phone just disconnected from, from it. But basically, um, I get like 2.6% of the, the blockchain every five hours or something like that. But that download, it, it seems to me that you're saying that that download is just downloading the UTXO set. Then it has to go through the validation process. No. No, it's it's, it's getting the, the transactions replayed from the beginning of Bitcoin history. It's not getting just the so UTXO it, set. Yeah. yeah, so you get a block and then you update the UTXO set, then you get another block and then you update the UTXO set, and you get another block and you update. So it just it iterates that process throughout the entire blockchain, and that's how you build the current UTXO set. Gotcha. Yeah, so uh, um, it says... I guess, I'm sorry, I, I got to run though.
All right. Yeah, no worries, man. No worries. But no, this has definitely been an interesting process because I've never downloaded Bitcoin Core before. I've never actually put a, a, a node on a desktop. I've always just used the Casa node. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a fun little experiment and I've enjoyed messing with it. Yeah, I mean, but your experience with the Casa node has been pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I've had no issues. Yeah. Um, it's sometimes a little laggy, especially if you're, you're trying to just connect to it to make a transaction. Um, I've, I've never actually plugged a screen up to it. I've always just uh, connected in remotely um, mm-hmm. from another local computer on the, on the network. Um, and it works fine. Um, I will say that I, I, I don't know if you recall me telling you when I first got it, it gave me hell. I mean, yeah, I sort of remember a, that. Yeah, it was a big old pain in the ass. But um, once it got set up, man, it, it took off um, took off real well. Had no issues. But I, I really am. Um, I took JC's advice and, and I think your advice as well. Getting a, getting a node operational, I think I'm going to do it off a Windows machine first. And then once I've got it squared away, I'm going to start looking at what uh, visualization software I can start messing around with and, um, and see if I can make some stuff uh, myself. But probably what are you that in Linux. Sorry, what are you interested in visualizing? Uh, my own dashboards. Basically, you know, what Clark Moody has done, but yeah. I want to do it for myself. I don't want to rely on his ass for anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't. Um, I don't have anything particularly fancy that I plan on making just yet, but I have mm. some basic ideas about how I want it laid out. So I've kind of sketched out what I think what what I think I would like to see every time I log in and see it. But I also like the idea of knowing that that data has come from my node as opposed to someone else's. I think there's real power in that. Yeah, the I right think kind so of power. Too. Yeah, so I mean that, that's well. why. You know, when I, I don't like going to just one website, like Clark Moody's dashboard is great, but you know, Clark Moody's dashboard gets its information from a bunch of different sites, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, it's nice to know what those individual sites are. I mean, I've, I've often wondered if there was a market for some software that just displayed some kind of dashboard of your node. Like, I don't know if there, if that exists. Do you know if it does exist? So I've, I've looked around and what I've found is it's mostly, um, it's mostly for Linux machines and uh, yeah. none of it appears to be very, very well put together. So if there is a market, which I don't know if there is, um, you know, someone has got some, some experience with user experience and displaying software could really, really improve what I've seen because uh, it all looks pretty rough. And yeah. um None of it's charted, you know, none of it's um, using charting software, none of it's displaying it any kind of uh, useful way. It's basically entering commands and getting outputs, um, yeah. you know, and, and that's cool and all, but I, I don't particularly want to do that every time I want to look something up. Yeah. Well, one of the problems with um, charting data from your local node is just the size of the Bitcoin database. So, we're talking about like 200 gigs of information. And so like if you're just in your RAM is what, 16 gigs or something like that? Yeah, I got that. 32, yeah, but yeah, I mean, makes no difference at that size. Yeah, so it's like, you know, when you're, if, if you were to be like, okay, let's plot, you know, Satoshi's coins or plot some kind of metric that required your computer to dig up information from the blockchain from like 2008, it would, you know, it would take forever. You know, you just could, it just can't hold that kind of memory in RAM. So it would have to go to storage and get it. And, you know, people just like don't have time. You know, they just want to see the graph immediately. And it's like, uh, 
a computer can't dig through database that fast. Um, yeah, I'd contemplated some some strategies in dealing with that. You know, I've I've um, I don't really advertise this, but you know, uh, practicing law has not been my only thing. I had a I had a, a data company. Uh, oh really? From, yeah, from twenty thirteen through twenty seventeen. Um, mm. And, you know, basically that's what we did. We, we had, you know, terabytes of data that we were processing every day. And, um, wow. we, we had really good nets with the Indian contractors I've worked with are the folks that are database architects. Um, wow. actually Gene of all people is, um, is a freaking ninja at that stuff, by the way. Um, really? I overheard him talking to someone about it. I was like, Oh, that boy fucks. I mean, he knows, he knows a shit ton about that. Uh, I think that's that. I mean, not to um, uh, not to kind of uh, dox him, but I think that may be what he does for a living. I mean, you don't get that level of expertise just hearing him explain what what he was working on in his free time. I was like, damn, that is that is crazy smart thinking. But um, yeah. you know, I've I've never been super tech oriented, but I I've just been involved in it for such a long time that I I have a plan to, I hope if I can get this all set up, take some of that data and manage it in a way that um, I mean even if I have to use Amazon AWS to to for charting and whatnot to make it more practical I I just want to make sure it's off my node, right and uh, and muck around with it I don't know what the end goal is I don't have a plan for it other than just to have some fun and kick it around, kind of hmm. kind of just Dude, not I- worth relying on other people all the time I don't think. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm totally interested in like charting tools that pull from your own node. I don't think AWS is going to help you at all because it'd be crazy to send that data from your node to Amazon and then back to your monitor to chart it. Um, but I'm, I'm totally interested. So keep me yeah. in the loop if you, uh, having more ideas. Well, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there was a period of time where I'd, I'd assisted some, uh, altcoins in, in running nodes in the, in the cloud, um, that had some really poorly managed um, block. Oh, I remember this. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, like the the two hundred gigabyte size doesn't really didn't really phase what we were doing and how we had structured it. It was actually a really clever idea, and we were um, working directly with um, building tools to visualize that blockchain. And um, you know, basically, I was leading the charge, and then I had a really good time, kind of like monkeying around with what I would like to see and how I would like displayed. Um, very few blockchain explorers that were intuitive to use. I think blockchain explorers are really, really messy still. Um, yeah. Job done. How come we, we never talked about this? You know that I'm interested in this. Yeah, but this is the kind of stuff where I, you know, I've got to be real careful because it's about, you know. Oh, I see. About, about stuff that I'm, I'm not permitted to talk about other people's business, but I can talk oh, about I like you. my experience and my expertise and, and whatnot. Yeah. But, yeah, man, that's basically what I did for the better part of six months and, and mm. had a hell of a good time doing it. Um, mm. I, I wish I could do, I mean, I could, I wish I could do that for a living. I just happen to really also enjoy practicing law sometimes. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I could find a way to make a, make a healthy living doing this and not have to worry about practicing law and had a nice convenient way to wind that down, mm-hmm. um, I would, I would do it in a heartbeat again. And and you had enough coin to take him to the afterlife. Yeah, um, you know it's uh, it's funny that that everyone's been talking about this because I've been I've been <laughs> subtly joking been holding back. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, but kind of went to tell you guys the culmination of a good story. Um, I've been slowly working with my father, telling him there's a bunch of 
um, really, really um, well-known Baptists that are uh, preaching about um, why stacking sats is is a biblical principle and how the Bible advocates for stacking sats. And, oh, I need to send the literature to him, but, oh, I'll get to it, Dad. And I've been kind of just trying to encourage him every step along the way. My dad's, my dad's a Baptist preacher and yeah. doesn't have a biblical foundation. He doesn't want to consider it. But I'm like trying to entice him to do it. Even if I have to write the damn stuff myself, I'm going to try to find a way to do it. You know, I I, uh, I was really um, I was really hoping that we would get a little more into some of what's been going on in downtown Raleigh because I actually had a really um, crazy idea, and I don't know if this is probably a good point for us to to stop the podcast and just uh, BS for a moment on just a ridiculous concept I had. But All right. uh, sounds yeah. good. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Uh, tune in next week. <laughs> Peace. Peace. Yes, this, right. this is this is for the patrons. Uh, okay, yeah, this is patrons. <laughs> I'm gonna stop the recording if that's cool with you. Yeah, that's fine.